Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for your provision for us of eternal life. We know, Lord, that when we reach your presence, that we will take nothing with us other than the body that you will raise out of the grave. And, Father, we thank you that as people we will be there forever and ever. And we realize how temporary and how prone to loss we are in this world, not only during our life, but at the end. And so, Father, we pray today that we may prepare. And we ask it in Jesus' name. We also pray for the survivors of the terrible catastrophe that occurred there in Louisiana and Mississippi. And we do pray for them, Lord, that you would help them. It's only you can. You know the hearts. We pray particularly for those who are part of the family of God, that you'd meet their deepest needs at this hour. and May their sense of your presence be, be sharpened. and May they be overwhelmed by things they see you doing. And we pray for those who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ yet, that you might use this as a way of showing them the love of Christ and working in such a way that many people will come to know the Savior through this. And again, we just pray you'd watch over the people there and take the needs, take care of the needs that they have at this hour. Thank you for states like Texas and others that are opening up their heart and their facilities to take care of them. And Lord, show us how the rest of us can become more involved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, as the tragedy in New Orleans escalated by the hour, I was up in my study and I'd have the TV on and I'd be working. And I took a break. And I picked up a copy of the National Geographic magazine and I'd been working on an article on the Phoenicians. This was an ancient people that were very powerful and who had a very influential culture back in the days of the Bible. But basically, that culture and those people have been lost to historians even. Gone with the wind, as they say. After finishing the article, I began to thumb through the magazine to see if there's anything else that would catch my attention. And I was about ready to put the magazine in the box that I used to take it up to the attic. And I noticed an article here at the conclusion of the magazine. And what caught my attention is the article was entitled, Gone with the Water, and then I saw the word Louisiana. So I started reeling, reading, and this is what I read. I think you'll find it very interesting. It was a broiling August afternoon in New Orleans, Louisiana, the Big Easy, the city that care forgot. Those who ventured outside moved as if they were swimming in honey. Those inside paid silent homage to a man who invented air conditioning as they watched TV storm teams warn of a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico. Nothing surprising there. Hurricanes in August are as much a part of life in this town as hangovers on Ash Wednesday. But the next day, the storm gathered steam and drew a bead on the city. As the whirling maelstrom approached the coast, more than a million people were evacuated to higher ground. Some 200,000 remained, however, the carless, the homeless, the aged and infirm, and those diehard New Orleans, Orleanians 
who look for any excuse to throw a party. The storm hit Britain's sound with the fury of a nuclear warhead, pushing a deadly storm surge, storm surge into Lake Pontchartrain. The water crept to the top of a massive berm that holds back the lake and then spilled over. Nearly 80% of New Orleans now lies below sea level, or lies below sea level, more than eight feet below it in places. So the water poured in. A liquid brown wall washed over the brick ranch homes of Gentilly, over the clapboard homes of Ninth Ward, over the white column porches of the Garden District, until it raced through the bars and strip joints on Bourbon Street like the pale rider of the apocalypse. As it reached 25 feet over the parts of the city, people climbed onto roofs to escape it. Thousands drowned in the murky brew that was soon contaminated by sewage and industrial waste. Thousands more who survived the flood later perished from dehydration and disease as they waited to be rescued. It took two months to pump the city dry, and by then the Big Easy was buried under a blanket of putrefied sediment. A million people were homeless, 50,000 were dead. It was the worst natural disaster in the history of the United States. When did this calamity happen? It hasn't yet. The article was written in October of 2004. Let me just read to you the conclusion of the article, which I thought was interesting. A few days after talking with Morton, I'm sitting on the levee of the French Quarter, enjoying Cajun food. Joggers lumbered, lumbered by in the torrid heat, while tugs wrestled with their barges up and down the big brown river. For all its enticing quirkiness and for all its licentious pleasures, for all its geologic challenges, New Orleans has been luckier than the wetlands that lined its pockets and stocked its renowned tables. The question is how long Lady Luck will shine. Last night, last week on Monday, Lady Luck quit shining. According to the article, if you read it, Carefully, as I did. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Administration, had listed a hurricane strike on New Orleans as one of the most dire threats to the nation. Right up there with a large earthquake in California and a terrorist attack on New York City. It also mentioned that the Red Cross would no longer open hurricane shelters in the city claiming the risk to its workers too great. Over and over again, coastal engineers warned that the city's man-made defenses would be overwhelmed by a major hurricane. Precarious is how one person official put it. One person who knew New Orleans well said, even the people think it's going to happen sooner or later. It makes you wonder why New Orleans and New Orleanians we're not better prepared. Why didn't city, state, and national officials, governments, along with the people of New Orleans itself, take these warnings more so seriously and prepare or demand that officials prepare for such an inevitable disaster? Now, these kind of questions, as you can well imagine, are going to be debated 
and the subject of much discussion and debate over the soul-searching days ahead. But I believe there's an important lesson here for all of us this morning. As we watch and pray and give to alleviate so much untold human suffering and heartache, the lesson is a very simple one. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared not just for the big one. That's what we call it here in California. I do keep several packets of freeze-dried food and some water and other items in case the big one occurs. But I'm not thinking of that. We even have supplies out here and back during school hours that uh, would care for the children. I'm sure if it happened during church, it would help us as well. But that's not the kind of preparation that I'm really thinking about. The question that I believe God would have us to consider this morning is, are we preparing for the really big one? You see, instead of preparing the big easy, as New Orleans is often called, just kept on taking it easy until last weekend. And the people of New Orleans are no different than the rest of us. It's just that time ran out on that city. But time is running out on us too. And like them, we just can't refuse, or we maybe put it this way, we just refuse to believe it. Or we just keep on telling ourselves that Lady Luck will continue shining on us as they jokingly say in New Orleans after a big golf hurricane threatened the Gulf Coast but didn't strike their area, they said, well, it looks like we dodged another bullet. Well, last Sunday and Monday they didn't dodge the bullet. Likewise, there will come a bullet we will not be able to dodge either. Death and destruction will come one day to ravage our physical bodies, all of us. But also one day, perhaps in our lifetime, death and destruction will ravage and forever change the world as we know it. The signs are everywhere. Fewer people in our world today would deny that our planet is getting hotter by the year. I know some of us as as Christians maybe have taken a step back by that because that's been pushed as a part of the environmental agenda. But the facts are undeniable. Global warming continues to shape our climate and our shores. People are now thinking of taking cruise ships across the Northwest Passage because the ice has receded to the point where they can do that. That's up across the northern part of Canada. In the last 100 years, more than half a million people have been killed by major earthquakes. In the last 100 years, there have been two world wars and a multitude of regional wars resulting in the deaths of millions and millions of people. Over 6 million Jews in World War II alone. In the last 100 years, famine and pestilence have led to the death of untold millions. We'll never know the count. In the last 100 years, religious persecution, especially of Jews and Christians, have ended the lives of millions 
hatred and violence rooted in the events of history in the Middle East continue to shape the way we go about our lives in America. Religion has picked up the sword. And the security and peace we have taken for granted in our country for years has evaporated before our very eyes. False teachers and false religions come and go at alarming rates. I used to keep up with the false religions a few years ago. It got to the point where there were so many that were being created almost every year, I couldn't keep up with near a fraction of all the different false religions that are out there and false teachers. Modern culture turns right and wrong, good and bad, upside down. People cannot tell the difference between truth and error. The value of human life is under attack. Religious people keep working toward a unity based on a devotion and worship to the creation rather than the creator. Environmental scientists predict a doomsday scenario. But so do behavioral scientists, psychologists, sociologists, anthropologists, predict a human chaos and misery on a scale unimaginable. Even Hollywood, for all of its shallowness, continues to revel in making movies that exploit such dire fears and predictions. And if we were able to know the mind of the people who make up this world, we would find that most people think... It's going to happen sooner or later. The really big one. And if the world itself senses that the end is near, how much more should we believers in Jesus Christ? If we take seriously the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we cannot easily overlook his clear prediction of the end of the world as we know it. Just listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 24. Jesus answered and said to them, they were asking about the end times, about the big one, if you will. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and they will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. <coughs> we just witnessed that the other night. Why didn't they respond more quickly? Because there was lawlessness. And it's amazing how the human heart revolts and backs off and refuses to love when there's lawlessness. Then if anyone says, <coughs> pardon me, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Our Lord Jesus Christ clearly predicted that doomsday is indeed coming. He also predicted terrible disasters that will lead up to that day. (coughs) But he also foretold something else. The doomsday will give way to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the first coming, Jesus came to die for our sins and to provide eternal life to all who believe in him for that life. In his second coming, he will come again to squash worldwide rebellion against God. He will come to rule over this world, to establish a kingdom of God in which all people will be taught the knowledge of God. He will come to establish a kingdom upon this earth in which there will be no more natural or man-made disasters, a kingdom of peace and prosperity, a kingdom of righteousness and judgment, justice. Now, you would think the peoples of the earth would mourn and prepare. Oh, thanks a lot, Dustin. Appreciate it. Got to use that stuff, water. Now, you would think the people of this earth would mourn and prepare for the doomsday scenario. But instead, we read that they will only mourn the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. What about doomsday? As the signs increase in number, indicating that doomsday is coming, how will the peoples of this earth respond? What will they be saying? You know what they'll be saying? Take it easy. Isn't it interesting how we like to punctuate the conclusion of a conversation? Take it easy. They will be taking it easy. In fact, when the day comes, you could describe the world as the big easy. The global easy. Again, listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. There was nothing wrong with that. It was just part of an easygoing lifestyle. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, he says this or adds this to what Jesus said while he was on this earth and what he continues to write through Peter. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, people are going to be standing around saying, what are you doing talking about doomsday? about the second coming of Christ, about the end of all things. I mean, it's all gone on before. And sure, we're going to have a few disasters here and there, but it's going to keep going on. 
For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Take a trip through the Grand Canyon you'll be reminded that this world completely was covered by water one day and we just saw the potential destructiveness of water. In just a small scale, storm compared to what God did during the days of Noah. In the Bible, the Bible's doomsday scenario, the world will be the big easy. And therefore, totally unprepared for what is coming. But this is not to be true of God's people. (coughs) We're not to be seduced by such a mindset. Instead, we're to be prepared and living in the light of what they know is coming. We know what's coming, therefore, we need to be preparing. And whether it comes tomorrow or 20 years from now or 200 years from now, Christians need to be ready. Peter drives this point home in 1 Peter chapter 4. Listen to what he writes. He starts off and he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Interesting way to start. The end of all things is near. Doomsday is coming soon to a theater near you. And in view of this, this is how the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, wants us to live and prepare for doomsday. And then he says four things. He says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Secondly, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. The word fervent here is a word indicating great effort. Loving one another is something we need to work hard at. You say, well, it's supposed to be a feeling. I'm supposed to have good feelings. And if I don't have good feelings for somebody, I'm not going to love them. God has to give me a love for them. Wrong. The Bible speaks of agape love, and it's a love that we will to love. It doesn't depend upon whether we have good feelings toward that person or not. It depends upon our willingness to obey God and to work hard at loving other people. And Peter is saying, as we approach the end, this is something we need to work hard at because it will be going the other direction in the world in which we live. As we get closer to the end, people will have less love for one another. Lawlessness will increase. And we will be at each other's throat. But as Christians, we have the responsibility, the commandment to love one another. We need to rid ourselves of all hatred and resentment and bitterness and grudges toward other Christians and even other people beyond the church. Who are not Christians. And then he says, for love will cover a multitude of sins. The word cover means to hide from view. Love will hide from view a multitude of sins. You see, love refuses to look intently on other people's sins. It is quick to forgive. Quick to give the benefit of the doubt. It looks beyond sin and failure. 
to the potential, to the contribution of other brothers and sisters. Furthermore, love avoids giving others cause for sin. Throw it all down. Then Peter adds a third thing. He says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, here's where you can really step on some feet. We live in the best homes in the world. And yet we don't open them. God says that's wrong. You want to prepare for the coming, for the end, for the big, big one? Open your heart and open your home. Reach out without grumbling to people beyond your circle of friends. Draw in the stranger, the one who cannot repay. Open your heart and open your home as the end approaches. And then lastly, he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We need to use our spiritual gifts our capabilities and the opportunities God has endowed us with to serve and benefit one another. He goes on in a specific, if anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. Those of us who have speaking gifts need to be clear. We need to speak the utterances of God, not our own opinions. If anyone ministers, that means to serve in whatever capacity, let him do it as though he's doing it with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. This isn't for your benefit, and neither is it to be in your strength. It's for the people of God's benefit, and it's to be in His strength, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Doomsday is coming. What are we to do as Christians? How can we prepare? Lastly, he says... Serve one another. With everything and every opportunity God has given you, serve in the church. This morning we've had several announcements about serving in the church. I encourage you to act on those announcements. And in doing so, you will be preparing for the end. The third thing he emphasized was be hospitable to one another. Open your heart and open your home to others outside your circle. The second thing he emphasized was have fervent love for one another. And the first thing he emphasized is be serious and watchful in your prayers. And that's what I would like to leave you with this morning. When he says be serious, he's saying pray thoughtfully. That's what the word means. It speaks of being in the right frame of mind as we pray. Praying with a sound mind. Not babbling along without giving serious thought to what we're saying to God. That is so familiar. Not only is it part of a certain segment of the church today that pride themselves on babbling, but it's true of Christians in general that we are often just so lazy, we just want to go through the motions of prayer. And God says we need to be putting some thought into our prayer. They need to be thoughtful prayers. It's offensive to God to jabber without thought. It's better to keep your mouth shut if your mind can't be engaged. We're not to pray as if we're out of our minds, but in our minds, in our right mind. And then he says, be watch, be serious and watchful. The word watchful there means be sober. 
It exhorts us to be away to be away from a blurred vision. To play without pray without a blurred vision. It speaks of having a clear vision. That's the positive side of it. A clear vision of what? Of the future. Christians, if anyone, could be our people who have a vision of the future. Not only do we know where we're going to spend eternity and that we have eternal life and we're going to be with Jesus, but we understand He's coming back. He's going to reign. We're going to be part of that. We're going to receive His approval and appreciation for that which we've done well for Him in our life. He's going to reward us in ways that are indescribable. We're going to have the opportunity of reigning with Him and that we will be able to, to create and shape and manage, which are the things we were created to do. We have all this in our mind and our understanding of the future. And He says, when you pray, pray with that kind of clarity of mind that you're seeing clearly the future. As the Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Truly, truly, it will never occur to the heart of mankind all the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. But much of what He has prepared for us has occurred to us because He has revealed it to us. It's absolutely critical. Therefore, we need to be prepared by first and foremost praying. Praying, praying thoughtfully. And with clear-sightedness as we draw ever closer to the end of the world as we know it. Do you know this morning I had planned on a more topical message on why pray? And there are many reasons why we should pray. But in view of all that has happened this week, it seemed best to underline and highlight what the Bible says should be our first course of action when we consider the shortness of life and the end of the world as we know it. We should be people of prayer. Be thoughtful and clear-sighted in your prayers. What would such a prayer look like? We're going to look at that more in depth next week as we consider the Lord's Prayer. But for now, I would like to leave you with a sense of the kind of prayer we are talking about here. The kind of prayer prayed by a person who has an ongoing relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. The kind of prayer prayed by someone facing a doomsday kind of disaster. Think of yourself. Your name is Katie. You live in urban New Orleans. Picture yourself in a house full of people from your neighborhood who have come together to ride out Hurricane Katrina. One of them who knows you well breaks the ice with the others whom you've really never had much contact with by telling everyone that you, Katie, are a Christian and you have a hotline to heaven. Someone else blurts out, Hey, Katie, you got an M with a man upstairs. We're going to need that. Someone else says, So you've got Jesus. You got that Jesus thing down, right, Katie? Everybody laughs as all of you share pizza and Cokes together. The wind begins to pick up, growing in intensity each hour. Eventually a window breaks, then more break. The house shakes and shudders violently. 
Suddenly, a part of the roof tears away. Water surges in around the door jamb and then over the windowsills, filling up the first floor with water quickly. The dogs bark and whine loudly. The lights go out. Everyone scurries up to the part of the attic that is still intact. Wind and water continue their assault on the house. Twenty people are now huddled together in the attic. Death and destruction seem certain. Three of them keep repeating the prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Which they learned when they were children. Two others are crying uncontrollably. They keep telling themselves, why has Lady Luck let us down? Several others who are Roman Catholic keep on reciting rosaries and endless Hail Marys. Two others keep crying out to God, if you are there, God, save us. We don't want to die. Then one of them speaks softly, but in a clear voice, to you. Katie, would you pray for us? Someone else yells out, yes, Katie, please pray for us. And you begin to pray. Oh, Father. And with the way you say those words, suddenly the rest stop their verbal praying. And except for the violent wind and rain, everyone hears and listens carefully to you. You begin again, our gracious God and Heavenly Father. I know you do not delight in our death. You delight in our having a personal, intimate relationship with you, the living God. You sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, who also arose from the dead and who lives today, giving eternal life freely to all who believe in him. O gracious Father, I, we, are committing our physical lives into your care into your hands, trusting you to keep us safe and bring us through this terrible, terrible hurricane without injury or death. Dear Father, I ask that all of us, before this night was over, will sense your love for us through Jesus Christ. And that we will not only be willing to trust you for the deliverance from this life-threatening disaster, But I pray that we will believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior who promised to all who believe in him eternal life, life that cannot be taken away by wind and water, but life that is forever, a life that is full and hopeful and potential. Thank you, Heavenly Father, and may you be glorified in our deliverance this night and for all eternity. Katie was prepared for Katrina. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in 